I was so miserable. I just like, I couldn't see my life with or without heroin. I was like, I had a little bit of hope that maybe I could get it to the point where I was like, I was actually living in a halfway house at the time, relapsing constantly, going to meetings high, telling them I was high. How the hell do I quit? Holix.com, in partnership with Heart Support and the Global Recovery Initiatives Foundation, is proud to present High Notes, a podcast about addiction and recovery in the music business. I'm your host, James Shotwell. My guest this episode is Trevor Hedges. Trevor is the vocalist and founding member of Sundressed, an Arizona indie punk band whose latest album, Home Remedy, is available now wherever music is sold through Rude Records. One of the many things I love about Trevor and what makes him a perfect guest for High Notes is that music is integral to his recovery. In fact, Trevor started Sundressed as a means of keeping himself on the path to recovery. And nearly a decade later, he's still sober and he's making some of the best music in his life. Our conversation covers the escalating series of events that led him to get sober, as well as his experiences as a sober artist trying to make it in the world of DIY music. But when we connect over the phone, the first thing I want to know is how long he's been clean. I, I've been clean for 11, uh, since April 9th, 2009 was my sobriety date. So 11 and a half years or so. Before talking about his recovery, Trevor and I go back to his time as an addict, to what was going on in his life in the weeks and months leading up to that April in 2009 when he decided to get clean. I had been in and out of treatment a lot and had just about everything you can think of happened to me as far as like bad things happened from happening from doing, you know, doing drugs. Like I was arrested several times. I was, my family was done with me. I couldn't keep a job. Um, and at this point I was so miserable. I just like, I couldn't see my life with or without heroin. I was like, I had a little bit of hope that maybe I could get it to the point where I was like, I was actually living in a halfway house at the time, relapsing constantly, going to meetings high, telling them I was high. How the hell do I quit? What ended up happening was that day I got pulled over. I, I was on a run with a couple friends and we were driving around just doing what you do to get drugs. I got pulled over and I had, I think I had a warrant for like missing a probation meeting or something like that. And I just like, I had a moment with the police officer where I was just like, I give up. I have warrants. I need help. Like, take me in. Like, I, I can't live like this anymore. So it was like a moment, like, that's not how I would have acted any other time that I had been pulled over. I would have tried to get out of it and tried to hide, but I just kind of gave up at that moment. It was, it was just bad. This moment will prove to be one of the most pivotal experiences in Trevor's life. So before we go any further, he wanted to take listeners deeper to walk you through exactly what happened and how he was feeling in that moment. Yeah, I was driving. We had acquired some narcotics from someone and we pulled over to park and use. And I think someone had maybe like, like seen us or something, someone, but basically a cop just pulled up behind us in this like random parking lot of like a parking apartment complex or something kind of wild because I, I have a job cleaning pools right now and I, I drive around like all the areas that I used to like hide around using 
you know, 12 years ago. I think they like had an idea that like we had just like left this drug house or whatever it was, but they pretty much just came and knocked on the window. It's, it's pretty foggy memory to me. Um, I remember I was with a friend of mine, Sarah, and she had never been arrested before. So she was not too worried. Um, I had the warrants and all that. So I was pretty freaked out, but also like, for some reason, kind of relieved that like, it felt like maybe it was finally all over. Mm. So that's, that's kind of where I was at. At this point in his story, it's pretty clear that Trevor needs help. But knowing you need help and asking for it are two completely different things. Asking for help is something most of us never want to do, but Trevor had to. So who did he turn to? Who was the first person he confided in to ask for help in this journey? Definitely my mom, because they, I had the warrant, so they, they took me in. So like my first person I talked to was the one phone call situation. You know, my mom was a little, always a little more understanding of what I was going through because she had had some addiction in her family. Uh, my dad had never really experienced it before. We have a really good relationship now and he's very open and understanding. But at the time, like my mom was kind of my lifeline. She got in touch with like a lawyer friend and basically they said like the only hope is for us to like get you in treatment one more time to hopefully avoid like going to prison for a long time. Um, Cause it was, it was just your, your typical drug addict, like, offensives like I had you know your small amount of possessions and like I had a couple DUI charges shoplifting stuff like that just stuff you get into when you're addicted to drugs and that's your number one priority um, <laughs> so yeah that was all really scary I, I got into it I think I was in jail for like 10 or so days and I got out on bail and got into treatment and I still wanted to use at that time. I didn't quite have like that complete revelation, but I didn't really have a choice. I got picked up from jail and driven up to Northern Arizona to go to treatment and got dropped off. But in the first couple of weeks, I ended up going to that court date. And for whatever reason, despite the prosecutor, like insisting that I go to prison, I, I got another chance, at least on the charges I was being seen for at the time. So that was kind of a turning point for me of like, maybe like I'm in the right place and I need to listen now. So it was kind of like short revelations like that over and over again. Like you said, like the first of many hard parts, um, <laughs> they just kind of continue, continue as you go on. And then you start to get a little, you know, easy and in, not easy, but more enjoyable. Like you start to enjoy life again. So Trevor told us earlier in the show that he had been to meetings before this point in his life, but he never really taken it seriously. But now, given the circumstances, he really had no choice. He could either face the law or he could make a commitment to his recovery. Um, I really think a big part of it was, um, which I still just cherish to this day, is the place I ended up going, not necessarily like their style of treatment or whatever, but the people there at the time. And I realized like how special it kind of is to like get clean with people that you, you know, end up being really close friends because you're going through such a traumatic thing together. And um, I was lucky enough to be in a house with a bunch of guys that like, like really wanted it to, to the point where like, you know, having a sponsor and doing your thing was like, you were cool if you were doing that. You know what I mean? So it was almost like, uh, 
peer pressure in the right way. Um, and I, I still talk to some of those guys today. Some of them have gone back out, you know, other people have, you know, found ways, things that work for them. Um, but I think that that was the camaraderie of other people in early recovery was something I, I didn't really have before. And that was like, I was basically being, I was following by example of people who had been there longer. I kind of started to just actually be more involved in the community this time instead of just sitting in the back of the meeting and yeah I think I just I had some kind of different kind of hope than I had like I think I think before because I got sober when I was 22 and I think before that I I would just always think like oh I'm so young like I can drink when I turn 21 like lo and behold I only lasted a year of legal drinking before I was like a complete and utter alcoholic on top of the heroin so it's almost like a grieving process to, you know, it's like, I've, I've overstayed my welcome with these substances and like, it's dangerous for me to do it again. You know what I mean? Some of you are probably listening to this and asking yourself where it all went wrong. What happened in Trevor's life to steer him towards the path to addiction? And I think in a lot of ways, this lends itself to a bigger, more existential question, which is why some people fall victim to addiction while others can drink socially or use drugs recreationally without ever feeling those addictive tendencies. And I'm not saying that Trevor has any of the answers, nor do I think he would claim to, but he does know where his relationship with drugs and alcohol began. I was a very socially anxious, shy kid to the point where I would fake sick if I had to do a report in front of the class. Like, what I see it now is, you know, your typical anxiety and depression, but at the time I didn't really know what was going on. And I had seen some therapists and stuff, but... um I remember the first time I, I took a drink, I was, I was actually, I was 17. So I was like junior in high school. I hadn't, I was afraid to try anything up until then. And really my, my like saving grace to like make friends and stuff was I was really into skateboarding. So I had like my kind of skating click and that, that was about it. I never had a girlfriend until I was 17. And like a lot of those things came with the social ease of drinking and smoking weed and stuff like that so end of junior year beginning of senior year I started smoking weed and drinking a little bit I found myself way more social having way more friends and it was kind of like that to harp on the same old story thing again I I got in a car accident my senior year and I uh, cracked the bone in my chest and got prescribed a bunch of pain pills and eventually learned how you can get high off those and how great that high is. And that's kind of what led to my eventual heroin use. So yeah, I was, I was really, really shy, thought drugs were the answer. And it was a, it was a pretty, pretty quick from the first time I drank to me using heroin was like maybe a year. I think it was a very fast progression. A recent report from the American Psychological Association found that at least half of a person's susceptibility to drug addiction can be linked to their genetics. If somebody in your family line has struggled with addiction, there is a good chance that you might as well. And that's what happened with Trevor. Some of my mom's brothers and sisters, so my uncles had some addiction. None of them were anyone I was really close to. Mm-hmm. I was more close. We were always more close with my dad's side of the family, which they had. They grew up in small town in Oklahoma, very family loving home, home life kind of 90s sitcom kind of growing up. So they, my dad was just didn't even really know about addiction. Um, mm. 
So that, that was kind of interesting, you know, a lot of conversations of like, why can't you just quit? And, you know, all that. I told you at the top of the show that Sundressed began as a way to keep Trevor on the path to sobriety. But I didn't know if that was the beginning of his musical journey. No, I actually, I was always, I always really loved music and I went to a lot of shows, but I never, never really played it myself until like near the end of my addiction. I had like picked up a guitar and started learning a couple chords and stuff but i've i've never really played like an actual show mm. on drugs at all mm. um so music was kind of a thing that came with getting sober for me as far as like i had a shitty acoustic guitar that i took with me to that treatment center and that was kind of my first like i'm gonna sit here and write songs about what i'm going through and some of those songs ended up being sundress songs before we talk too much about music I wanted to know what was getting Trevor through recovery. As we know, many in recovery find a phrase or a saying or a mantra that they carry with them. And this is what worked for Trevor. Yeah, I can think of one that, that definitely kind of like caught me off guard because um, I think like three or four months and I was kind of like going through the motions. I had, had moved from the treatment center to the halfway house and I had a job like bagging groceries and... Um, this guy from the program happened to be shopping at that Albertsons. He was my sponsor's sponsor at the time. So I, I knew him not very well, but he was kind of, he was one of those like 25 plus years always has some like piece of wisdom, wisdom to share kind of people, you know, and he came up to me and he's like, what are you doing working here? Oh, you know, I'm just staying sober, like got a job, whatever. Like, and he's like, why don't you move to a bigger city and take over the world with your music? What are, are you afraid you're going to drink again? It made me realize how important it is to find something that you love and do it when you get sober. I wanted to interject to emphasize the importance of this message. Addicts often have a lack of self-confidence. I know that many of us are raised to believe that we can do anything we put our minds to, but not everyone takes that to heart. But as you go through the recovery process, you realize how strong you are. You realize that it's possible to set your goals and work towards them and achieve them. So if you can overcome your addiction, anything is possible. You can become a touring musician. You can have a spouse and kids and a family and a house. You can do anything that you want as long as you work hard and stay focused. That's one of the many benefits of going through recovery. You find that confidence that you didn't know you had, and you can find the ability to apply it to anything you want in life. I guess what I took from that is not being afraid, because you don't know necessarily what's going to happen, and there's drugs and alcohol in the world. And like, if you're going to shelter yourself in these meetings every day, work at a grocery store for the rest of your life, you're probably going to find a reason to relapse if you're not living to your true potential and doing something that you love that could make an impact in your own way. It's also important to highlight the fear Trevor is describing. Because when you're in recovery groups or you're going through a rehabilitation program, it can feel easy to get clean because everyone is doing it. Everyone is trying to stay sober. But once you go out into the real world, anything is possible. And that fear can be paralyzing. Like I, I had so many friends that would get like, you know, they'd, they'd finish treatment and then they start working at the treatment center. And then it's like, where do you go from there? You know, are you going to own a treatment center next? Or like, <laughs> eventually you got you to gotta enter the real world again. Of course, there is an argument to be made about whether or not being in the music industry is the same as being in the real world that Trevor is describing. But he did put himself back out there. When he left recovery, he devoted his life to music and he eventually found himself on the road. And as we've covered time and time again on this show, 
Being on the road is a tricky proposition because no matter where you go, you can find anything that you want, even if it's not good for you. And this is what it was like for Trevor to navigate the scene as a sober person. Okay, so I was I was working at a coffee shop called The Fix, and um, it was a sober venue, and that's kind of where Sundress played its first few shows. So it was very kind of music scene oriented, but not um, there was no alcohol or anything, so it wasn't really an issue. And when we started playing bars, I think I had just just really found so much comfort in performing and feeling so in the moment that it wasn't really a thought of like, I'm gonna be tempted to drink. And I think it definitely helped that I had been sober for a few years prior to that. I feel like if I started a band a few months into being sober, it would have ended a lot differently. But also like, I didn't really mind being around people casually drinking and I, honestly just don't have a lot of good memories of drinking. I never really liked drinking. I liked doing heroin. When I would try to stop doing heroin, I would drink a lot. I was always a blackout drinker, so it was always embarrassing stories. Nothing nothing that I can look back fondly on, really. So it was definitely an experience to be in the setting where there were people drinking, and I was the one that was going to drive everyone home. I honestly like kind of just owned it and in- enjoyed it and didn't mind being that friend for other people who are drinking. I think I got the confidence from that from, you know, getting to release all that energy on stage. Like I I wouldn't be someone who would just go sit at a bar for no reason. But if I have a reason to be there, then I don't have a problem with it. Just because someone finds the strength to share their struggles in recovery does not mean that they want to share their struggles with others once they're on the path. However, Trevor has built a career on sharing his struggles and his journey to recovery with fans, and I wanted to know about that process. The only way I've been able to write songs is having them be autobiographical and personal, and um, just being a former addict has it. I might like find myself you know, thinking in weird ways and stuff like that. So it's it's kind of like a constant theme. It might not be like very specific to like thought about doing this or like I used to stick a needle in my arm, whatever. But I've always kind of just written about what's going on and that's what's always worked for me. And I feel like a lot of artists I admire to me. But I've always had a hard time just talking to like talking in front of crowds. I don't I don't mind singing. Over the past like I'd say year or two I started not 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 like preaching but like just giving a little tidbit on stage of just like what I've been through and how long I've been sober right now just because you never know who might need to hear that and uh, I found that to be really rewarding both in starting really cool conversations with people after the show or hearing like oh you know I've been sober six months now and this song means a lot to me stuff like that which is definitely what I always wanted with the band I maybe didn't know that's what I wanted but it's definitely been the coolest part for me. As my time with Trevor nears an end, I have to ask him the same two questions we ask every guest. When was the last time you had a craving to use? And when was the last time you felt genuinely tempted to do it? Gosh, honestly, I I can't really pinpoint like a time I had like a serious craving to use and gosh, probably since like the first year I got sober. I do remember like having one moment early on in sobriety where Like I had been clean around six months and I was walking to work and I realized that I hadn't thought about getting high for like a whole week and that was like mind blowing to me. 
And now it's kind of like, I almost have to like have these kind of conversations to like remember what my life was like before then. Cause it's, it's been so long now. It's kind of weird. It feels like a different life. It feels like everything started over when I got clean to an extent. So it's really hard to say. There's definitely been times like where I've had problems with my mental health, where I might have like a thought where I should just like use and throw it all away. But it's never been like desperate thought, not so much a like, oh my God, I could really use a shot of heroin right now or something. The guys in my band are are pretty tame. Like a couple of them like to drink, a couple of them are stoners, but like all I had to do was just tell them a couple stories about what I was like when I drank and I know all of them would slap a drink out of my hand if I ever thought it was a good idea. So that that's really helpful to, to have guys that aren't like, why don't you drink? Like I I I get that a lot. Like, you know, when a bartender gives you drink tickets and you tell them or like you want like a Coke or a Red Bull and they're like, You mean like with whiskey? And you're like, no, and you're like, why? And like, do you want me to get into this right now? Like, does it really matter? <laughs> if you're anything like me. You've listened to this conversation and wondered what Trevor's relationship with his mother is like today. After all, she was who he turned to in his darkest hour. So I thought I'd ask him to give us an update. It's really good. We we've always been close, but I think she's so proud that I've come this far because I in hindsight I, I really only used for like four or five years of my life and I've been clean for double that now. So it's it almost kind of seems like a, a blip on the radar unless I really think about it. And we're, we're just as close. I think there was a lot of, you know, things I had to repair early on with how I would take advantage of her kindness and stuff when I was using. And I try to be really conscious of that, but um, they're so supportive of the band. You know, I, I see them often. We, they live, you know, just 45 minutes away from me. So so yeah, it's, it's really great. Probably one of the best things about being sober is, you know, having that family support that I had lost. When you're an artist like Trevor, who makes a career out of sharing your own traumas and your own addiction struggles, you find yourself developing an audience that feels comfortable sharing their struggles with you. But as we learn in recovery, we shouldn't give those people advice because we don't know their full story. We don't know where they come from, who they really are, what they've gone through, what they're dealing with right now, and so on. But we can make suggestions. So I wanted to ask Trevor, when fans come up to him and they begin to share their stories in search of answers or hope or anything of that nature, what suggestions will he offer? I think one of the biggest ones for me is, and it was so hard for me to just just do it, but it was to just be completely honest. I think that's the biggest thing I've taken from the steps and like something that is a little fear to me to this day, like where like, if I think I want to lie about something, I'm like, where, where's that one lie going to lead me? Like, it sounds kind of crazy, but like, if you're in a treatment center and you think it's bullshit, like, like sit down with your counselor and tell them why you think it's bullshit. And they'll probably tell you why it isn't. You know, I, I think just, just being so, so honest was a big part of me getting sober in the beginning. Also, don't be afraid to make friends in recovery. Um, I think that's really important, and to just just not lose sight of the reasons why you want it, why you want to get over this. You're not just you know, it should never be just for a person. But for me, I guess looking back and kind of going back to what that guy said to me in the parking lot at Albertsons, but like it's it's just so important to to live once you get sober. Um, so yeah, that, that would be my advice. 
One thing I kept thinking about while talking to Trevor is how quickly our lives can change. One day he was riding in a car with his friends planning to get high like they did all the time, and the next he was on the path to recovery. Of course, the road wasn't easy and it had a lot of starts and stops along the way, but Trevor committed himself to living differently and he did it, and he continues to do it to this day. If you or someone you know is struggling with addiction, please seek help. The High Notes team is here for you, as is the team at Heart Support and the Global Recovery Initiatives Foundation and in your local community. There are people everywhere who want to hear from you, who want to help you, and who want to cheer you on as you make better decisions for your life. For High Notes, my name is James Shotwell. The show is brought to you by Holix.com and produced by Landon DeFever. Our programming consultant is Laura Haggard. The music for the show was made by the band You, Me, and Everyone We Know, and the art was created by the great Nick Farron. If you want to connect with High Notes, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram by searching High Notes Pod. We have more episodes coming soon, and we hope you'll stick around. But until next time, we do ask one small favor. No matter what you do with your life, please take care of yourself, because you deserve it. <laughs>